With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Baba Kamadaf Lamech Ches, page 38. We begin at the second line, the first word. Shoshal Yisrael, Shanagach Shoshal Kanani Potter. If the ox that belongs to a Jew uh, gores the ox that belongs to a Canaanite, there's no obligation for him to pay. The Canaanites that we're referring to here are one of the seven nations that were in Israel 3,300 years ago when the Jewish people came into Israel. Amri, Miman of Shach. The Gemara says, either way you look at it, we need to understand this. If when the Torah says that if one person's ox gores the ox of his comrade, if it means specifically his comrade, so if that's the case, if a Canaanite is not considered one's comrade, so it shouldn't make a difference if the Jew, if his ox gored the ox of a Canaanite or the Canaanite's ox gored the, the ox of a Jew, there should be no obligation in either way. And if when the Torah says your comrade, it doesn't mean specifically your comrade, then So even if a regular Jew's ox uh, went and caused damage to an ox that belongs to a Canaanite, there should be an obligation to pay. Amar B'Avos, Rabbi B'Avos says, Amar Krah, we have a verse that teaches us that this is true. Amar V'yemoidid Eretz, Ra'a V'yater Goyim. The verse says that God stood up and he measured the land, and he saw, and he permitted the nations, or he untied the nations. What does this mean? He saw the seven commandments that were accepted by the sons of Noah, since they were not fulfilling them. So God got up and permitted their money to be given over to the Jewish people. And what this means, explains this, is that since they don't care about other people's problems, so if we don't make them pay whenever their ox gores, so they're just going to let their ox do whatever it wants. People are not going be responsible. So therefore we say that they have to pay. But really there's no obligation for them to pay, and there's no obligation for the Jew to pay them as well. So Rabbi Yechanan Amar Mehacha, Rabbi Yechanan brings a different verse that teaches us this concept, that it became revealed and permitted from Harparan. What does this mean? Miparan, from the time, explains Rashi that Hashem went around to all the different nations and offered them the Torah, and all the nations didn't accept it except for the Jewish people. So at that point, when they didn't accept the Torah, so their money became the property of the Jewish people. And therefore, the Canaanites are going to have to pay if they cause damage. The Brisa that indicates exactly like Rabbi Avo and Rabbi Yechanan uh, if you have an ox of a Jew that causes damage with the ox of a Canaanite, Potter has no obligation to pay. If you have an ox that belongs to a Canaanite that causes damage to an ox that belongs to a Jew, whether it's a tame animal or a wild animal, Mishalim has to pay full damages right away. As the verse says, it brings both of these verses. God stood up, measured the land, and he permitted the money that belongs to the nations. The verse says that it was revealed from the time that God went around to all the different nations offering them the Torah. It was given over, it was became permitted their money to the Jewish people. My ve'oimer. Why do we need a second verse? What was wrong with the first verse? If you want to say that we need that verse, the first verse, because we need like Rav Masna, and because of the statement of Rav Yosef, which we're going to see what they said about this verse soon. But if you need it for that purpose, that's why we bring a second verse, that from the time that God went around to all the different nations offering the Torah, from that point on, so the Jewish people uh, inherited, or it was revealed to them, or became permitted to them, the, the money that belongs to the nations. My dear Rav Masna, what is the statement that Rav Masna, not Rav Masna, Rav Masna says, Amen v'imaydid Eretz Rav Chulei, brings his verse, God stood up, he measured the lands, he saw, what did he see? Ma ra'a, ra'a sheva mitzvah shenestavolein b'nei noach, he saw the seven commandments that had been given to the sons of Noach, v'lo kimum, and they hadn't been fulfilling them. Amen v'hilig l'oisam yad masam. So this verse teaches us that he went and he sent them to exile from upon their land. Ume'e mashma, from where do we hear, the high vayater lishna da'glu yehu, that when it says the word vayater, it means 
means that they went into exile. It says over here that God permitted, loosened the nations. It says elsewhere the same type of word of vayater, lenater bahen al haaretz. It's talking about these animals that walk around on the ground and it refers to them as the fact that lenater bahen al haaretz. What does it mean? Umitargim and the uncleus translates lekafza bahoyin al ara that they jump around on the ground. So we see that the word lenater and vayater mean to be sent away to jump away and therefore it means the verses are saying that since they didn't keep the commandments so they were sent into exile. Mind the Rav Yosef what was it that Rav Yosef used this verse for? The Amr Rav Yosef Rav Yosef says that God stood up and he measured the land etc. Ma'ra, what did God see? He saw the seven commandments that were accepted upon the people who were the sons of Noach. But like Kimum, they weren't fulfilling them. So God got up and permitted them that they didn't have to keep those laws anymore. Gemara says, It's great. Iskar. What we're going to allow them just because they didn't keep the commandments, now they don't have to keep the commandments anymore? It sounds like we're rewarding in a certain sense, we're letting them get away with it. Ravina says like this, what was the punishment? The punishment was that even if they fulfill them now, they don't have an obligation, therefore they're not going to get any reward, even if they do the seven commandments of Noach. Is that true? We have a brisa. How do we know that if you have a non-Jew, even a non-Jew, that's involved in learning Torah, that he's like a high priest, that's what the verse is telling us. The verse says that the man shall do them and live in them. What does it mean that and live in them? That by a person doing the commandments, doing the mitzvahs, so it gives him an eternal life. That's what it's referring to. But what does it say over here? It says the word Ha'adam. It doesn't say the Kohanes, the Levis, the regular Jews. It says any man. This teaches Even if you have a non Jew who's in involved in learning the Torah or fulfilling the Torah, so Rabbi Meir holds that such a person is like a Kohen Gadol. And I think the understanding why does it refer to him as a Kohen Gadol could be perhaps because a Kohen Gadol was the high priest, was the one who came into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. He had the closest possible place, the highest possible place in all the world spiritually. He had that access. So a person who fulfills the Torah, even if he's not a Jew, it seems that he can also access God that way. So what do we see? We see that a non-Jew has the ability to keep the Torah. Not like we said, we just said that they're not going to, if they keep the Torah, they're not going to get any reward. Here we see that a person will be able to have a closeness to God, despite the fact that they're not commanded. So we say, you know what their punishment was? That they would no longer be able to get the reward as if they had been commanded to do it. But rather, all the reward that they get is like they were not commanded and they did it anyway. It's much greater for someone to fulfill the commandment because they were commanded to do it than for someone to do it on his own. If somebody has a commandment to do it, so there's an explanation that goes with this idea, and that is that if someone has a commandment to do the mitzvah, it's much harder because a person's natural reaction is, I want to do my own thing. So if you're commanded and you do it anyway, you have to overcome your Yitzhahara, you have to overcome your inclination, your evil inclination. So a person who does it, even though he's not commanded, it's not as hard, big deal. So he's not going to get the same type of reward as somebody who is commanded and does it. Tanarabon, we have a brisa. It already happened that the kingdom of Rome sent two great generals to the sages of Israel. And they said to them, teach us your Torah. They wanted to find out if there was anything that was problematic with uh, perhaps with the Romans or something inside of the Torah. They learned all the Torah, they went over it, and they went over it a third time. When they were leaving, so these generals said, 
We've gone into all of your Torah, and it's all true. Chutz midavrzeh, except for this one thing, Sha'atem Amr, that you say, that if an ox that belongs to a Jew gores the ox that belongs to a Canaanite, there's no allegation of it. And if we're talking about the ox of a Canaanite that caused damage to the ox of a Jew, whether it's tame or whether it's wild, it pays full damages. Because it doesn't make sense. And Rashi points out, by the way, that the sages didn't want to explain to them the reason behind it. They didn't want to tell them this whole Gemara that we said previously. So they said that it doesn't really make sense to us. Because either way you look at it, if when the Torah says it has to be your comrade, that it specifically has to be your comrade, even if a Canaanite that caused damage to the ox of a Jew, so there should be no obligation to pay. And if when it says the comrade, it doesn't mean specifically it has to be your comrade. So even if a Jew's thing causes damage to the ox of a Canaanite, there should be an obligation. It should be the same thing in both directions. But the general said, don't worry, this is one small thing, we're not going to inform on you on this one. Rav bar Yehuda Shechivu bar Yehuda, his daughter passed away. So the rabbi said to Ula, Kum He said, let's go and we're going to console him. So he said to them, Ula said to them, What do I want to do with the type of cons- consolation that you Babylonians give? It's sacrilegious. The Amri, because what do you say? What could we do? What, if you had something to do, you would have done it? And it seems to me that uh, in the, in, from the Hemshech, like the Gemara's continuation, that what Ula was saying was that it was clearly something from God. And the way you're talking about it is a little bit misunderstood. If something happens, if somebody dies, everything is from God. And you shouldn't say, if I could have done something about it, I wish I could have done something about it. That's sacrilegious. That's not how we, that's not the proper Ashkaf and not, not the proper outlook. So, so Ula went on his own to him, Amrle, and he said to him like this, Vayomer Hashem Eli. God says to me, to Moses, Do not make it difficult for the Moabites, and don't start up any kind of wars with them. Why would he have, why would he have thought that he should go and make war with these people? Without permission? He would have, or he could have, or he, maybe he did make a Kalvachomer, a logical derivation on his own. And he said like this, If in regards to the Midianites, so they only came to help out the Moabites. On retire, the Torah said, that we should fight with the Midianites and we should hit them, should destroy them. So, who are they coming to help? They were coming to help the Moabites. So the Moabites themselves, like, again, certainly we should go fight with them and we should destroy them. So Hashem said to, to Moshe, The way that you think about it is not how I think about it. There are two people who are going to come out of these nations in the future that they can't be destroyed now. One of them is Ruth, Ruth, the Moabite woman, and one of them is Nama, the Ammonite woman. So now, so we have a logical derivation based on this. And this is what Ula was saying to console in a certain sense. It's difficult to understand this consolation, but this is what he was trying to say. We have a logical derivation. For two measly people that are going to come out many, many years later. So God had had mercy upon these two great nations, and He didn't destroy them even though they should have been destroyed. So the daughter that passed away, your daughter, if she was fitting and something good would have come out of her, certainly God would have allowed her to live. So clearly, God saw that it wasn't appropriate for her to continue living. You don't have to worry because nothing good would have come out of her anyway.
Now, while this consolation is very difficult to understand, however, what we do see from the statement of Ula is that he is trying to stress the fact that every single thing that occurs is from God, and we have to know, we have to accept that everything is ultimately for the best, and everything that happens in the world, and especially when we're talking about death, heaven forbid, so it's something that comes directly from God, and we have to know that God's in charge, and he takes all the cheshbonus, he makes all of the different calculations that are necessary. And that's what Ula was saying. Our the Gemara continues, said, in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, God does not hold back the reward for any creature. Even the reward for a small, nice way of saying something. Because the older daughter of Lot, she referred to her son as Moab, which means from the father. So Hashem said to Moshe, Do not oppress the Moabites and don't start up with them any kind of war. So it's only a war that you shouldn't start up. But if you want to enslave them, that's fine. Tzi'ira de Ka'amra ben Ami, the younger one, what did she say? She said, she referred to her son as the son of my nation. She said it in a more tsanua way, a more modest way. She didn't actually refer to the fact that it was her father's child. So Hashem says to Moshe in regards to that nation, and when you come in front of the children of Ammon, don't be involved, don't oppress them, and don't start up with them at all, that you shouldn't even enslave them. Another thing that Rabbi Chibar Abba said, and this time in the name of Rabbi Shuman Karcha, was in regards to this story, a person should always make sure to be the first one to do the action which is a mitzvah, a commandment. That the two daughters of Lot, they thought that they were doing a commandment, they thought that the entire world had been destroyed, and therefore their only choice was to have relations with their father. So because the older one thought that she was doing this mitzvah, and she was doing it first, she did it the first night, and the younger one did it the second night, So there were four generations that her child, the child from Moab, ended up being part of the Jewish people, four generations earlier than the child who came from Ammon. Those are the four generations. And the young one had to wait until Rechavim. As it says in regards to Rechavim, the mother of Rechavim, her name was Nama, she came from Ammon. So therefore we see that there were four generations, of extra four generations of Jews, an incredible merit. And this was because she was careful to do the mitzvah, what she perceived as a mitzvah. She was careful to do it first. So we can learn from her, we can learn from these women, how one should behave in regards to real mitzvahs. The person should try his best to be the first one to do the mitzvah. This is reason, makdim in the mitzvahs, we have to strengthen ourselves to rush to do commandments. Tan We have a b'raisa. Shoshali, shoshal nagach, shoshal kuti. You have the ox of a Jew that causes damage to the ox of a kuti, a kuthai now. Potter, there's no obligation to pay. Shal kuti, shoshal Yisrael. And a kuthite whose ox gore is the ox of a Jew so if it's a tame animal it pays half damages if, if it's a wild animal it pays full damages Rabbi Meir I mean Rabbi Meir says that the ox of a Jew that causes damage to the ox of a Kuthite potter there's no obligation so here he says whether we're talking about a tame animal or a wild animal if it belongs to a Kuthite causes damage to a regular Jew he has to pay full damages 
What's the pshat? What's the understanding? Lameimer the Savar Rabbi Meir. Is this to say that Rabbi Meir holds kutim gere arayzhein that a kuthite is not considered a good gear? They're not considered true converts because the only reason that they convert is because they were afraid of the lines that would devour them. And since they're not considered good converts, they're considered non-Jews, and therefore that's why they have to pay full value when their animal causes damage. Uraminu, I'll bring a contradiction. Anytime you have a stained garment, a garment that's stained with a woman's blood, well, that's what it seems to be, if it comes from a place called Rekem, Tahorim. So you don't have to worry that it's going to cause a person to become impure. Because it's, you can assume that it came from a non-Jew. The blood of a non-Jew is not impure. Only the blood of a Jew is considered impure and would prevent somebody from being able to, to touch truma, let's say, to touch things that require that a person be pure. Rav Yehuda says, no, they are in fact considered impure because the people from Rechem are actually converts and they make a mistake and they think that they're non-Jews. If let's say somebody finds a stain from amongst non-Jews, so it's for sure pure. If let's say it came from amongst the Jews or from amongst the Kuthites, Rabbi Meir says it's impure. And the sages say that it's pure. Because we don't assume that a Jewish woman who is aware of the fact that her bloody garment could cause someone to become impure, so she would never leave it out. So therefore if you find that you can assume that it's not from the Jewish people. But what do we see here? We see Alma Kasavar Rabbi Meir Kutim Gere Emesheim. Rabbi Meir says that if it came from the Kuthites, it will be impure. So we can deduce from there that he holds that in fact they are considered good converts, and therefore that's why it would be impure. They're not careful about watching out, let's say, for their garments that shouldn't be left around, but the, it is considered impure. Um, Rabbi Avos, Rabbi Avos says, Knas hu that it's a special fine that Rabbi Meir placed upon their money, so that regular Jews should not become mixed up amongst them. Because since they have to pay this extra fine, they have to pay full damages, even if their animal gored only one time, so the regular Jews are not going to want to partake and hang out and be around these Kuthites. They'll see that these people are not as good to be around, and that's the reason why he says you have to pay full damages if you're a Kuthite. Master Rabbi Zeir, Rabbi Zeir asked the following question, These are the cases where if there's a woman who, heaven forbid, is raped, that she has to be paid, her father has to be given the money if she's a minor, that there's a fine that has to be paid. Haba al hamamzeres. Even if the woman who got raped was a woman who was a bastard, she came from an illicit relationship. Val Nasina, or a woman who came from the Nasinim, who had questionable lineage. Val Hakutis, or on a woman who was a Kuthite woman. So, what do we see? That there is an obligation to pay a fine. If it's true that the reason that they have to pay the Kuthites in regards to our case of an ox, because that the Jews shouldn't get mixed up with them, so we should also say over here that the person who raped this woman, so he shouldn't have to end up paying so that they don't end up getting mixed up with each other. They don't end up perhaps getting married at some point, heaven forbid. Amar Abai says, we don't do that because then the person who did the sin of raping this woman, he's going to end up not having to pay the fine that the Torah legislated for him. So we make him pay it anyway. Why don't we say that he should give the money to poor people instead of giving it to this family, the Kuthai family? Rav Mari says, the reason is that you can't say that you have to give the money to the poor people because no one will ever be able to get the money out of this guy. Because if a poor person comes along and says, that money is mine, give it to me, he'll always say, I'm not going to give it to you, I'll give it to a different poor person. And so on and so forth, he'll never have to give away the money, and therefore we're not going to accomplish anything. So we, therefore we say that no, he has to give it to the family instead.